I'm going to talk about uh, hope of beautiful tomorrow. Um, you know, I've been pastor for over 35 years. Uh, after school, I was an engineer and businessman before I entered into a seminary. But it's been already about 35 years. And as a pastor, as I do biz, uh, you know, ministry to others, I realize most Christians or churchgoers are only one calamity or one disappointment away from losing faith altogether. This is serious. People who fill the sanctuaries week in and week out, after decades, they just walk away from faith as if they have never believed. And I kind of um, struggle with this and realize that many people do not actually experience what we call paradigm shift or uh, worldview changes for that matter. And today I will actually talk about worldview changes. And, you know, uh, start with this. Now, years ago, about 25 years ago, I had a couple in my church who seemed to be very genuine in their faith and passionate in their worship. Nevertheless, they never participate in our cell group, which is a small group gathering at um, each houses uh, throughout the weekday. And uh, I called them in, and I was having just talk with them and say, how come you never joined in cell church? And they answer, you know, pastor, we're trying to buy a house, and we are just working so hard and so long, we just don't have time uh, to attend cell churches. So really, I just heard so-and-so about a house in a certain part of Orange County, California, where I live, and it wasn't that bad. And she said, the wife said, you, you don't understand. We want to buy a decent house in a good school district. And I'm, I want to just say to you, I'm all for good school district and uh, good education and all that. So I was kind of messing with them a little bit and say, so what happens when you have a house in good school district? Because at the time, that couple didn't have any child. So I was just kind of asking them, why, why is that so important to you right now? That was my question. But they took it the other way, say, the use for a good school district, a house in a good school district. So they are like responding to me, don't you know, this kind of attitude. And they say, of course, you know, they go through a good school district and go to good college and universities. So I thought, I just mess with them a little bit and ask, then what happens? And they said, well, you know, of course, they graduate from good university and they have a good job. So I said, then what happens? Well, they'll hopefully find good, you know, nice person and get married and have a good job. So I said, then what happens? Of course, they'll have children and all that. And I said, then what happens? Well, they have to buy a house in a good school district. <laughs> and I thank them for defining the meaning and purpose of life because many philosophers and theologians and poets and scientists couldn't figure that out. And this couple single-heartedly figured that out. The meaning of life and purpose of life is acquiring a real estate in good school district. 
And I felt sad. Because life is much more than that. But I also realized most churchgoers, their primary goal and value system and worldview has not changed. They try to fit God into their ecosystem. Whether, I mean, rather, we need to fit into God's story from beginning to the end. One, if it's not switched over, whatever we do, so religious activity, including coming to worship, discipleship, going to mission, and prayer meetings, and whatever else, is a decoration on top of our life that has a trajectory and destiny that will not change. These are the people who are one disappointment away from losing faith altogether. This goal and desire and purpose in life must be challenged and must be changed. Right? So, I think if you can change the uh, PowerPoint for me, uh, okay, because it's battery is weak, I think. All right? So I'm going to talk about paradigm shift. Paradigm shift is this. Paradigm shift is a profound and thorough change in the way we perceive our surrounding, which causes us to make certain choices and to behave in certain way in our lives. It's an operating system of our lives. This is how we perceive and understand our surrounding people and events. Therefore, we make the right choices and respond correctly to life. And when Jesus, said to, uh, Jesus came into the earth and he was ministering, he said this, he often said this, you have heard, but I say to you. He's changing and challenging the very worldview and value system of the people. It is not just memorizing certain Bible verses and subscribing to certain theology, lines of theology. It will not help us. The thorough change in the way we perceive and understand and pursue must be changed. Otherwise, we hope for things that's not worthwhile. And we work so hard and only to find out our career betrays us, our bodies become burden to us, our relationships sours. And after all these activities, including religious activities, will yield a bitter fruit. That's not the way to live. That's not to live and pursue. So I'll read a passage for today, John 15, 16. It says like this, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you to go bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Oftentimes we quote the very last part, the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name, but that is, has a, a condition. And Jesus says this, it is not you who chose me. You thought you are making decisions on your own, but I have chosen you. Without my provision, you cannot make that choice. And I have chosen you, I have chosen you not to just save you out of hell's fire. I have chosen you for a purpose. I have commissioned you as well. I have commissioned you to go bear fruit, not any kind of fruit, the fruit that will last. Jesus qualifies what kind of fruit that we must go after 
So whatever mushroom that we have doesn't count. The ministry that seems to grow, have notoriety and fame and popularity, does not count the fruit that must last, have an eternal purpose and reverberation into the eternity. That is a fruit that we must bear. In other words, Jesus has chosen us, not that we have chosen him. He has chosen us, show his glory and his grace, so that the job job description is here, the purpose is here, so that we go bear fruit. If we are fruitless, whatever we do has no meaning. Jesus, uh, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, in 8, it says, For by grace we've been saved through faith, and he goes on to explain his grace and salvation. And verse 10, he says, For we are his workmanship, created for good works, which he has prepared beforehand so that we may walk in them. Salvation has a purpose. God's choice has a purpose. And that purpose is go bear fruit fruit that is qualified in such a way it lasts. Ask yourself today, are you better than these couples we are talking about? Have a house in a good school district. Your kids have successful career. Is that what you're living for and going after? Is that where you're investing your life and energy and all that? Then you are ignoring the very call and commission of God. This is why we hope for things that's not worthwhile, and when we don't get it, we get so disappointed and bent out of shape, we are willing to walk away faith as if it has never happened before. I've seen so many people like this. So brothers and sisters, let me ask you this. Is God interested in your vision and hope? Is God interested in your vision and hope? The answer is no. I was talking to a, a bunch of pastors in one, one of the conferences, and I began with, God is not interested in your vision, and they got so offended and bad out of shame. Where in the Bible does, say, does God say, God is interested in your vision? Casting vision is none of your business. Our Father has a vision, which is better than ours. Our Father knows us better. He knows how to build us and mold us and shape us and use us for his purpose. He's the one who orchestrates. He's the one who provides. He's the one who connects. He's the one who lines up. And because of that, he has a plan. It's none of our business to come up with a plan. And what that often does is we, we vest our resources and, and networks and energy and we really lock the situation when God calls us to do something really for his purpose. We are unable to do it because we are vested, we are locked in. And people live life like that. And that's why God is not interested in your vision. Out of love, God is interested in his vision. Because his vision is God's eyes. It's for real. He knows us better. He knows how we may fit into his kingdom better than ourselves. Then how do we approach him? The important thing is we must know him. 
And the scripture says, be still and know that I'm God. The problem with our generation is we don't know how to be still. We have so many plans. We have so many activities. We have so many people we go around and shake hands with, take selfies with, put it on the Facebook. We don't know how to be still. The millions of threads of thoughts going through every second of our brain. The God's voice is flooded out, drowned out by the distractions of our lives. That is a problem. You know what? We cannot truly hope unless we understand our true identity and calling. Who we have become in Christ Jesus. And therefore, what kind of fruit we are commissioned and appointed to bear. Unless we understand this, our hope is a distraction and vain. So therefore, understanding our true... Wow, did I do this? Okay. Am I messing with you now? Sorry, go to the next one. A true identity and calling of every believer. And for this, Peter, the super disciple of Jesus, said this in 1 Peter chapter 2, 9. For you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Peter is writing to a group of people in modern-day Turkey, and they spread out diaspora, and they are suffering, they are under persecution. And Peter, rather than writing and saying, everything will be okay, God will protect you, and all that, he didn't say that. He went to the point and said, this is who you have become, and this is your job description. It says, in many words, you are chosen people, chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people belonging to God. And the job description is to, for you to declare the praises of him who called you out of into darkness into his wonderful light. And now, I want to kind of um, parse some of the words here because many of us do not understand what we have become. And that is this. Number one, we are chosen race. And here's uh, actually play of three words in Greek. The chosen race, holy nation, people belonging to God, these words, the race, nation, people, are interchangeable words. But they have a, their specific meaning for each word. That they can be all translated as people, nation, tribes, you know, families, and whatnot. The first word, the chosen race, is genos. A genos is a word is from the same stock. They are related by blood. It's like, you know, tribes. You're from the same tribes. Same blood. You're same stock. You're of the same origin. What, what Peter is saying is, you are a chosen group of people who have a common denominator, the blood relationship in Christ Jesus. No matter where you come from, these are not only Jews, but also Greeks and other people mixed in this uh, congregation. 
And Peter is saying, you have a common denominator as a holy and chosen group of people. There was commonality in Christ Jesus and his blood, his salvation. And second is that this holy nation, ethnos, where we get the word ethnic groups and whatnot. But it's a nation. It is very important that it is a one, under one king and under one flag. We are a group of people who have a common goal and purpose. And we have one master and king. That's what he's talking about. We not only have the same origin, the blood of Jesus Christ, salvation, but we have a job to do. We have one nation under one king, under one flag, one purpose in life, to know God and let him known, let him be known. All right? That's why we am. Motto is to know Christ and let him be known. And third, the people belonging to God, the people word is a Laos. And it, it means, it, it has a special meaning, the people of the same destiny. People who have the same trajectory in life. We have the same goal, same destiny. That's what he's saying. And people belonging, the possession of God, the word the possession, actually is talking about purchase with a high price. So if you put that all together, what, what um, Peter is saying is, you are a chosen race. You have the same common denominator, faith in Jesus Christ. You are forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then you are holy or royal priesthood. In other words, we stand before God representing people, and also we stand before people representing God. That's our position as a job description. And then holy nation, we have one king, we have one purpose, one flag. This church doesn't have a Christian flag. All right? Christian flag, we have beige color and a blue square with a red cross. That's universal Christian flag. One flag. One purpose. People assume that they have their own goal and purpose and worldview in life. And they meet Jesus, the Son of God, who died for us. And they, they assume it is okay to continue the path they were on with Jesus attached to our life. That's a wrong assumption. When you encounter God of the universe, the Son of God, who died for us. Our destiny, our trajectory, our goal and purpose in life must change. You cannot go on and attach Christ on top. He has to qualitatively, quantitatively change your life upside down, inside out. That is necessary. I've seen so many people practice faith as if you can attach God and God fits into your pocket. You can carry him around. That's not what it is. You meet the creator and coming judge of the world, universe, that we must change. We must change our goal and direction and purpose. 
Finally, we are people belonging to God. We have the same destiny. God has chosen us in that way. Now, so let me uh, start to wrap up then. There are necessary paradigm shifts, necessary challenge, uh, changes in our values. Number one, your life is not yours. Our life does no longer belong to us. That's the number one challenge. And Paul says this, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. My life does no longer belong to me. That's the beginning point. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God. Sometimes I get upset with the modern songs, uh, contemporary worship. It's all about me, my need, my feeling, and all that. The praise of God, who He is, and forgetting of ourselves before Him is no longer there. It's about all my emo need. That's not worship. The focus has to be on God and for Him. See, it's like this. Until you have a Copernicus moment in your life, Christianity has no power in you. That is this. Before Copernicus, people thought the whole world actually spinned around us. The earth geocentric mindset, egocentric mindset we have before Christ has to change it to theocentric mindset. As if geocentric to heliocentric, when the sun is in the middle, everything makes very you know, everything makes sense. It's a few circles, orbits. That explains everything. My failure, my cancer, my broken relationship, difficult marriages, and all that, those things line up for the purpose of God and how God is moving us. Therefore, if God is at the center, we don't stress out that much. We go through sufferings, difficulties, yes. But because God is at the center, His purpose, His will is at the center, we are willing to overcome. But if I'm at the center, how come I'm going through this? How come I'm facing bankruptcy in age 55? How come my parents are losing their you know, health? And I have to take care of My kids are not uh, being successful. It's all about me. And what is God doing in my life? It's never going to make sense to you. Bible does not make sense in that way. It's about God, His purpose. For His good pleasure, we've been created in first place. And God has saved us, sending His only Son, so that we may bear fruit, the lasting fruit, something that lasts. You know, actually this is the last leg of my trip, a two-week trip. I had to take care of uh, some of my churches in Atlanta, Georgia, and I went to uh, Ohio, uh, Cincinnati, Ohio. In AMI, we have a church, Living Water Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. In Cincinnati, there is a very uh, underserved uh, area called OTR, Over the Rhine. It's a high crime area. This is where, you know, so many drugs uh, and so many murders and all that. About 20 years ago, two of our um, Pastors moved in there, and both of them are professors at the University of Cincinnati. One was a medical professor, one is a physics professor. 
these are from the top of their game. Uh, and uh, actually, a medical professor taught at Med Harvard Medical School for 10 years before he came there. And these two guys, God called them into the ghetto. And so they are not ministering to them from their comforts of their home. They actually moved in. They moved in and fixed the house and put the bulletproof window from first floor to fourth floor because people are dying in front of their doorstep every day. And they ministered to teenage mothers and, you know, druggies and ex-convicts and all that for 20 years. Dr. Paul, the medical professor, passed away about three years ago, and we just lost uh, Dr. Johan, uh, who's, um, who was ministering in Athens, Greece, among the Iranian refugees, and uh, he had a stroke, and um, we had to bring his body back, and um, we had a funeral. And uh, because we lost our pastor, we had to scramble and try to keep that church going. And, and uh, have a, we have interns and uh, pastor interns there, and we are running that through. We had a funeral about a few weeks ago, about three weeks ago. You know, he's an accomplished scientist, a tenure professor, just retired in order to do full-time missions. And in this funeral, there's no mention of his schooling. Education, achievements, rewards, nothing is about Christ. I've been to many, many funerals. In fact, I had seven funerals a month of April and eight funerals a month of May. And been to many funerals. I've never been to a funeral as edifying, as blessing as that. In fact, when I was sitting there, I was, I was officiating the funeral this 13-year-old African-American boy came in by himself. And he looked at the casket, inside the casket, and began to bawl, began to weep uncontrollably. And then he came and sat right in front of me where it's reserved for the, reserved for the family, families to sit. And I was looking at him as a genuine sorrow and mourning of this 13-year-old boy from the hood in his, in his age, he has seen too many violence, too many death, too many abuses for his age. For this boy to come in by himself, looking at the corpse, and then mourn so genuinely by himself. I was t telling myself, Dr. Yuan, you have succeeded. You have lived well. I have seen so many people live as though they'll never die. I've been to so many funerals, people die as though they have never lived because they should live for themselves and their family. Their values have never changed. Their worldview, still secular as it is. Declaration of Christian words, programs, doesn't mean a thing. Your life it is no longer yours. We've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live. But Christ lives in us. That's something that we must remember. Second necessary paradigm shift is what we do matter and has eternal consequences. And the scripture says, 
He has made everything beautiful in his time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. I'm going to stop there. God has put eternity in your hearts. That's why if you hope for wrong things, unworthy things, even if you get that, there's emptiness in your heart. Many people do not get that. Unfortunately, even Christians, all they hope for is creature comfort, recognition of people and conveniences in life. That's not what life is about. Think about the end of the day when you stand in front of Jesus and looking into his eyes and he looks into your eyes. What have you lived for? Where is my fruit? Lasting fruit. Will you be ashamed? Regrettable in your life? Live in such a way that Christ our Lord, the Son of God, has given his life for you, which we believe. And I'm going to quickly go through next second uh, couple of ones. And number three is we are responsible for our generation and the next. Okay, we have the older one there. So we are responsible for our generation and the next. You know, for those from a Korean um, line, in 1907, there's a Pyongyang revival, Great Awakening in Pyongyang, North Korea. And they have printed, you know, copied, silk printing, the Gospel of John, and they gave it to quarter million household in that time. No copy machine, nothing. But they have a silk screen, Gospel of John, and the believing household, quarter million household. That's unthinkable because their goal was in our generation. Let Christ be known in our generation. Finish the evangelism in our generation. That was their goal. They have done that within five years. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm glad this church is involved with the missions and the unreached people group and so forth. Praise the Lord. How about Toronto? Toronto, in 30, 35 years ago, even 40 years ago, used to be called Good Toronto. Did you know that? Good Toronto. Because majority of Torontonians went to church on Sunday with a statutory holiday. Majority went to church. No longer. This is one of the least, you know, churched cities around the world as a Christian nation. We pray that God will use you powerfully. Not only your goodwill or discipline, but by the power of the Holy Spirit that you will be able to reach your generation in this city. Finally, home is your father is. Do not build your life in this earth, which is foolishness. In fact, Indian proverb says, life is a bridge. 
and only fools build house on a bridge. You know, there was a, a missionary who served the Lord and the retired in the turn of the century, 1900s. And um, as they finished their service, they're on their ship on the way back to the United States. And as they come back, as they docked into uh, uh, New York Harbor, the, the husband uh, went up to the deck because they were in the bottom of the boat because they couldn't pay, you know, afford the uh, expensive rooms up there. So when he came up, he found that whole, their whole you know, city, literally the whole city came out with a band and you know, playing. And he thought for a moment they came out for him. But he soon realized that there was a president of the United States in that ship. He did not know because he was at the bottom of the boat. And he went to have a hunting trip in Africa and he came back and the whole you know, group of people came out with a band and everything else. And this missionary got embittered in his spirit. You know, we serve the Lord all our lives and come back. Seemed like nobody came out for us. And this president, you know, go and shoot up some animals and he comes back, literally whole nation turned out and the band is playing and everything else. And so he got so dis- discouraged, he went down to the room where his wife was. And he explained that he was huffing and puffing mad and he explained that to her and say, it's so unfair. And his wife said, let's pray together. You know, I don't think we should disembark the boat with this state of mind. I think we should pray and calm down a little bit before we, you know, come out. And as they pray, and the wife begins to say, the Lord seems to say to me, this is not your home. Home is where your father is. And the missionary began to repent and weep. How foolish was I thinking just because I came back to the United States. I thought the people may recognize or welcome us, but this is not my home. Our home is where Heavenly Father is. That's an assumption a lot of believers are confused with. Once again, your life is not yours. Second, what we do here matters and has eternal consequences. Number three, we are responsible for our generation. And home is where our father is. Let's bow our heads.